Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with me, Dominic Archer and David Bryan. David, how are you this fine afternoon? I'm very well, thank you, Dom. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. I, I was going to say this fine evening because for me it is 10.30pm. And then I realised, oh, the world, it, it's crazy. Did you know that it's, it's not flat? That is something that I learned recently. Is it's, it? It's, it's a circular Hang thing. on. Pause the um, podcast. You know what? Don't believe what you read on the internet. The world is round. I'm just throwing out there. Time zones, they're a thing and they're a real pain in the ass. Especially for uh, for when it comes for watching the World Cup. Because, you know, depending upon where the World Cup is happening and where you are, there are games that you miss and it's infuriating. But today, actually, we both got kind of lucky because normally there are one or two matches that we can watch. But we wanted to talk today about uh, Group E and Group F, and by chance, Sweden, South Korea, both uh, Group F teams, both playing this afternoon. We've just watched the game. Dave, uh, your fresh take, what's your first reaction to this, this clash of the titans that is Sweden, South Korea? Were you doing air quotes then? Because you know that no one can see those, right? <laughs> it's an audio medium, but I feel like air quotes really... Really, they, they shine through. They do shine through, yeah. I mean, obviously, I sense them. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I thought, um, coming straight off of that game, I'll tell you, I was, for no real reason, I was rooting for South Korea. Maybe it's another, another underdog thing. Um, but that game was very much a, let's try not to lose. Uh, let's try mm. and stay organised. And if you're South Korea... Let's try and pass the ball around the Swedish players who are all much stronger and much taller than we are. So let's not try and win a physical battle here because we ain't going to win that. And yeah, for it to be to come down to another, another VAR incident and a, a penalty kick, um, it's, I think it's one of those KG first, uh, first round group games that we can, we can expect between two teams who are, who are trying to make sure they don't come bottom of a group that is, is quite challenging and, and one of the hardest groups, I think, in the, in the draw. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, a really good point. Um, it was interesting seeing South Korea's preparation going into the match. Uh, one of the things, one of the, the tactics that I read that uh, South Korea was employing in training was switching around their shirts between the different players because Westerners cannot distinguish between Asian faces. I, so read, that, I read about that too. That was shocking. Yeah. So, <laughs> Incredible. Um, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. <laughs> but I, I don't know who, who, the race, who is being racist in this situation. Uh, <laughs> Someone's the Kore- being racist, surely. But are the, are the Koreans <laughs> being racist by suggesting that Westerners are so stupid that we can't distinguish Asian faces? Or are the Westerners being racist for not being able... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not a matter of racist, racist or not. It's a matter of exposure to uh, the facial... Uh, well, to the faces of different races. If you live in Sweden, you probably don't encounter that many Koreans. So um, it's not really a surprise if uh, you have difficulty telling them apart. It's the same with, with every race around the world. Um, but I thought that was a very strange revelation to come forward until it turned out that the Swedish did send a coach 
to illegally watch the Korean practice session. Oh, yeah, maybe we're missing some more air quotes there. Uh, illegally, uh, well, I see, I see. mistakenly. I guess these are all yeah, uh, adverbs yeah. that may that may apply in this situation. It's all a bit yeah. strange. Yeah, by by illegally, I mean like the laws of FIFA, which <laughs> if we're talking about you know legality, FIFA may not really be the people to uh, to to go running to here, but. Hmm. It's interesting what you say about um, the VAR because it's having a real impact in this World Cup and an awful lot of the matches here are being decided by penalties at this point. Like, do you think this is that these penalties would be being called anyway or would they just be nil-nil draws for everyone to sit back and enjoy? It's so hard to determine what what would have occurred had the penalty not been given or... And vice versa. And that's always always been the case when penalties maybe should have been given uh, in the past in games and then weren't, and when penalties were given that were later by benefit of replay shown to not to have, uh, have been penalties. But I'm I was very skeptical about VAR in general in the season season leading up to this World Cup. I wasn't sure it was really needed. Um, and personally, I kind of I always liked that extra inexplicable drama of. No matter what happens, sometimes mistakes happen, and that could contribute to that to that excitement, that drama, that that, that anger sometimes, and and the relief sometimes mm. as a as a football fan, or just as a spectator. But and I did see it used quite poorly when it was first introduced in various competitions um, this past season. But I think so far it's been used quite well, and I've been glad to see that it's been used in the minimum amount of instances as as they can, and in big moments like you say that can really change games and decide games and, and things like penalties and if anything hopefully that will continue and um i like to see, see see justice done in the moment instead of you know when perhaps penalties given and we all can all see as viewers on television that it shouldn't have been given and you hope that the other team who feel maybe have been unjustly treated can then go and stick one in the other end and hope uh, you know, karma balances it itself. But uh, I think with the introduction of VAR, maybe that's that won't be necessary. And I will, part of six months ago, if uh, you had told me that I would be saying that I think it's been positive and I hope to see more of it uh, used, I would have denied that as likely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because they've been uh, used for years in American sports. The NFL, for example, uh, is constantly referring to it's not called VAR, but you know to that fourth official style video replay. Yeah, um, which is one and, of the thing, one of the um, not the contradictions, the controversy around introducing it into into our football. I hate having to call it our football, but I also don't like the word soccer, so I'm just going to call it our football. Yeah. Um, because okay. what the effect it has in in the NFL, particularly, is how slow and drawn out the games become. And, you know, a game that is only involves an hour of actual play, four quarters of 15 minutes, can take three or four hours just to get through with all the breaks. And that's one thing yeah, that well, football bodies did not want to see um, happening in, in our game. Yeah, I think we have seen a bit of that because as at least I have been watching the matches and then the extra time comes up and it has been five minutes extra time in again in games that are oh nil nil one nil and i'm thinking why are they giving five minutes like that is a lot of extra time to be giving 
And I think it's because of this this edition of of VAR that they're taking extra time just to go and watch. It could not. It could be. I'm not going to complain more football, but I'm not going to complain having more football to watch. But I just thought it was interesting that one thing I just noticed again and again and again is five. It was always five minutes as well. Five minutes extra time. Yeah, it seems strange that it to be adding on. Yeah, it would seem strange that it wouldn't be taken off. Like, sure, injury time is there to be added on for stoppages that involve injuries uh, funnily enough and uh, substitutions and other stoppages but it's, why not for v- VAR why can why not to stop the clock for VAR in, um, particularly mm. um, but then I uh, perhaps it's not just the, the VAR that's adding all this injury time because I, I agree I've noticed that too but one thing I've also noticed is an awful lot of um, shall we call it gamesmanship from players uh, trying to waste time right. in, in various methods but um Maybe that's a conversation for another day because I could I could speak at length on that. <laughs> Ooh, well now now you're exciting me. You're 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 getting me revved up for. Uh, well, I, it's going to be the Argentinians. I know it is the Argentinians and the Portuguese. They're the two. They're the two who are. All... They're not the first to come to my mind uh, based on what I've seen so far. But uh, like I say, when we all get into that another day. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to jump straight across to. Uh, to, to well keep going with analyzing the the South Korea and, and Sweden because as you're saying South Korea is kind of the underdog in this situation but I mean this match again with there was not much between the teams and without the penalty there is you know there is there is nothing between them um that's got to be a surprise right like Sweden is a solid a solid team South Korea is is one of the better uh, easily one of the better Asianic nations, but like, I suppose I don't know. Maybe I'm just going off preconceptions here, but I would have thought that the Sweden again would be would be looking at a pretty comfortable loss. Is this the loss of uh, Ibrahimovic that's that's holding them back in this? I don't think so. I mean, uh, he was. I think he hasn't played for the national team since Euro 2016, and he's getting on a bit. He's 36 uh, years old now, um, and he's had his injury problems over the last couple of years um, with Man United. Um, but their their qualification was was good with, without him. I mean, they were kind of un- unfortunate. You would have thought to begin with to be drawn in the same qualification group as Holland and France, um, but ended up beating France. And obviously, Holland didn't didn't make it through. And um, Sweden did see off Luxembourg massively with an eight 0 win, which you know Luxembourg are one of those um, dummy teams that are you know they, you have to give them their chance, I suppose, to com- to compete. But they're generally not expected to win in any of their games. Um, but Sweden they were strong in their in their group and kept uh, kept sorry kept seven clean sheets. There's a tongue twister, um, and then ended up um, <laughs> ended up beating Italy in the playoffs, which obviously stopped Italy from from coming to, uh, to a World Cup for the for the first time. Um, but they've not even in the with the presence of Ibrahimovic uh, over the last decade or so, they haven't made it to the last two World Cups before this one, and uh, obviously going mm. that's around when Ibrahimovic was in his prime and. Um, so I don't think you can pin it any of uh, Sweden's strengths just on just on him when uh, they do have quite a, a decent squad, I'd say. I mean, I'm not totally excited by by their squad. And they've I mean, they've had to include players like Seb Larsson, who is at the tail end of his career. He's 33 years old. He had a great career in the, in the English Premier League, starting at Arsenal and playing for Birmingham and Sunderland. But at 33 years old, and he, he actually and he started today's game against South Korea, which um, I think probably wouldn't have happened if they, had they played 
um, Germany or Mexico in their first game. And I wouldn't expect him to start either of those two games. But South Korea, I think, are um, pipped for to uh, finish bottom in this group as, as the weaker team of the three. And um, as you've touched on, South Korea have been a strong team in, in Asia in the past, especially if you go back to um, the World Cup in 2002, which they co-hosted with mm. Japan. And they made it all the way to the semi-finals on this amazing tidal wave of, of local of local support and um, a bit of luck and obviously great quality. Um, and and they remain the only Asian team to ever reach it to reach the semi-finals. But um, since then, of course, that was the whole sixteen years ago. Um, their qualification for this tournament, at least, is, was not was not uh, glowing. It was fine. I mean, they finished second in the qualification group, but that was behind Iran, who, as we've seen already in this tournament, um, yeah aren't the most uh, exciting team, but they performed admirably in their, in their first game and like I say, won their, won their qualification group. Um, but the whole South Korean team only um, managed 11 goals in that qualification period, which is the same as um, Christian Eriksen did in, the, in the, his European group for Denmark. <laughs> so um, he's not even a striker, you know. So as while, while they have one or two stars in, in their squad... Uh, the main two, of course, being uh, Ki Sung Young, who's been at uh, Swansea for the last two years. I think since they've, they've been relegated, he's likely to leave. But I, I've always liked Ki Sung Young. I think he's a cultured um, uh, midfielder with a great range of passing and a great touch. And he's their captain for this tournament. So they obviously hold him in high regard. And their star, their key man is Tottenham, is uh, Sung Hyung Min. Again, I'm, I'm a big fan of He was really exciting to watch play in the Premier League this season. Um I think for Spurs, he was involved either with a goal or an assist in every uh, one goal every other game. He was really key wow. for them back in that sort of um, that supporting uh, role behind Harry Kane. Obviously, he bangs in all those goals and uh, alongside Deli Ali in that kind of uh, supporting role. So, mm. this, um, and we, we saw in that game today that while they're they are very well organised, I think they battle really hard and they are obviously like uh, sorry, not obviously, but. Unlike what we've seen in some other games uh, so far in this group stage, they they have showed up. They've come to work their hardest, to try their best, to remain organised, to really give 100%. Because if you're a team like South Korea, especially in this group, you're going to have to. Uh, I think you, there's no way you're going to sail through this. Like, um, I think like with Germany losing to Mexico in their first game, you'd expect them to bounce back when the next two games and go through and everyone will forget about the fact they lost their first game. Um, but uh, I've paused because I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> but for for South Korea, you're your you're not looking to see you're not looking to see them come back, to, like re uh, reignite the the flame against Germany and Mexico. No, like, I, I expect them to no. have the same level of work rate um, and spirit. But I just don't. They just don't mm. really have. Um, have the quality, I think, to trouble um, either either of those those other teams. But at least they will come out of. I think they'll fall out of that group with some respect, and people will be glad that they were there and they won't have wasted their opportunity to at least make their country proud and do everything they can. Yeah, it re- it really is incredible what is going on in South Korea as, at the moment as well. Because I'm I'm looking at Sweden, South Korea, thinking you know. I'm not sure about the domestic and international situation of Sweden Sweden and Swedish politics, but I don't think they're under constant nuclear threat. (laughs) Whereas, you know, South Korea for the last year, two years, has been living under 
some pretty serious duress from uh from the north border and obviously this this is tension that has lasted for uh, for the last 50 years but yeah of course very recently it, it, for for south korea it has been a a roller coaster ride of of a couple of, a couple of months where um a few months ago the south korean president says hey Donald Trump deserves the Nobel Peace Prize for organizing these talks with uh, with South Korea. Uh, sorry, with North Korea. Um, like, we're going to give Donald Trump the Nobel Peace Prize for bringing the, the two Koreas to the table. And then there's been a huge, re- like, a huge show of reconciliation between uh, the North Korean government and, and the South Korean government. They've, they're actually meeting each other. They're visiting each other's countries. They're showing that maybe there is a, a diplomatic way out of it yeah i never thought and I'd then see that. it's it's really incredible but then after donald trump meets kim jong-un in singapore he donald trump turns around and he says we are no longer conducting military exercises with south korea which that has been going on for Decades, decades and decades where the US and South Korea hold joint military exercises uh, along, the D- along the DMZ to uh, show the North Koreans, hey, we're still here, right? And in, in um, uh, the US has 30,000 troops in South Korea. Do they? The, wow. the, the, the US is heavily invested in the Korean Peninsula. And after Singapore, uh, Donald Trump has turned around and said we're no longer conducting the same style of war games and what's really remarkable is he turned around and slammed the south korean president for their trading practices with uh with the us so he's turned around and said that basically the south koreans have been giving them a raw deal for the last 20 years and oh sorry so the, the the trade deal he's talking about specifically oh donald trump says was signed in in 2011 um but this is really unprecedented for a, a an american president to uh go against south korea in this situation it must be so destabilizing because that has always been uh what balances the korean peninsula in that the, the north koreans have the support of china in in almost anything the China is North Korea's major ally, and obviously they're just across the border. They're really close. But without the Americans, what have the South Koreans got? Uh, the <laughs> Japanese? Again, these these are historic rivals. Um, and if I'm a South Korean person, right now is a time of unease and stress. And yeah. That that's something you bring with you when you're traveling around the world. When you're traveling to Russia, who are also big players in this situation, um, and that is not something that Sweden is bringing to the table. What is <laughs> no. Sweden? What is Sweden thinking about when when they go in there? I don't, oh, know, don't they have like, the highest know. suicide rate in the, in in the world? Maybe maybe that play, that, that weighs <laughs> well, heavily. Well, I guess on, that on the, uh, you know that 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 probably plays into it. I suppose, <laughs> but they're also one of those countries that's like. The happiest can the no the happiest nation in the world. I'm not sure how you balance the happiest nation and the highest suicide rate. Well, don't quote me on I that. Mean, I haven't I haven't researched that exactly, but I, I remember there's one country in particular in Scandinavia has quite a high uh, yeah. rate of suicide. Well, these are, yeah, there's so many Scandinavian generalizations. You know, they've got oh, yeah. uh, socialized good socialized education. 
um, general a general balance of uh, of equality. They like equality within the country. They like salty fish. I mean, there's, there's, these are all true. Those meatballs. <laughs> oh, and the meatballs. Let's not forget the meatballs and uh, just flat like, furniture and such things. You know, that's what they are bringing to uh, to to Russia. To Russia. <laughs> while the South, while the South Koreans are bringing a threat of annihilation, <laughs> and you know, I think that's something that weighs your team down going in, into the World Cup. Is thinking like, oh God, when when this is over, is there even going to be a home to go back to? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talked before about um, how the uh, what can be happening back home can uh, affect a football team going across the world for for a tournament. I think we spoke about that when we spoke about Egypt and yeah. what what's happening there in Iran. And it's interesting that looking at the South Korean squad, they are primarily based either um, in South Korea themselves or in Japan, not too mm. far far away. And only I think three or four, maybe five of the squad uh, are based in Europe. So. Well, that's the majority of the squad who are day to day living with the the realities of of what is happening on home on home soil, and then I'm sure when the the squad all comes together in preparation for tournaments or for friendlies, um, the players who are perhaps um, based outside of Korea and um, maybe even including the the players based in Japan are going to be getting first hand accounts of what is really uh, what is really going on as far as the South Korean people are concerned. It's got to be just unbelievably stressful that situation because again uh, uh, months ago this was being hailed like being heralded as you know uh, perhaps an an end to the conflict because this is the the korean war never finished there was never a peace treaty that was signed that, that ended the korean war it's just that they built the world's largest minefield between their two countries and yeah. You know, no one's crossing that. So technically, these two countries are still at war, and North Korea has the artillery to reach Seoul if it really wants to. Um, yeah, no doubt. And the only reason they don't is because the Americans, again, the Americans w- would re- retaliate. But if Donald Trump was to, you know, further remove America as a deterrent from that situation, that's something that that's got to play, uh, got to play on the minds of of those people. But. Uh, you know, that's that's a, a pretty big downer for, for talking, you know, of the football situation. So I, what I would like to do as a form of segue was to go back to um, to your favourite Egyptian, Mo Salah. <laughs> um, All of our favourite Egyptians, surely. Yes, yeah. Was, okay, sorry, sorry. Because may, he... Besides maybe, uh, what's his name, Rami Malek from uh, Mr. Robot. Oh, <laughs> Second he, is, favorite. he is a handsome man. He's good. He's a, he's a well, I, I think he's a good actor, but... Um... He's playing Freddie Mercury in the upcoming uh, Queen biopic. That is good casting. That's great casting, isn't it? And that reminds me of my critique of the Swedish national team. They are not an attractive football team. (laughs) Not enough handsome men for your liking. Man, you know what? You know, earlier I was commenting on just how goddamn handsome the 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 Denmark squad was, (laughs) and and I, I realize now it's not the blonde hair. That, that does it because the Swedes all have blonde hair and they were but ugly. So it's just something about that that that. Apologies to any uh, Swedish listeners that maybe uh, no, no no apologies. No I'm apologies. not saying that I'm not saying that Swedes in general are ugly. <laughs> Obviously, the oh, Swedes in general are beautiful. But every country in the world, everyone in the world is beautiful in general. Oh, it's just the Swedish national team is not. 
But moving swiftly on, or actually, I suppose, continuing in that vein, um, uh, bringing back up uh, Mo Salah, you were telling me that the piece of news where Mo Salah was essentially ambushed by the, the Chechen leader Ramzan uh, Kadyrov the other yes, day, yeah. right? Where Mo Salah, he's, he's staying, uh, he's staying in, in, in his hotel. He gets a, a, a call from the manager. It's like, oh, there's somebody who wants to meet you. And he goes down there and... It's the bit the, the the strongman dictator of Chechnya, uh, Ramzan uh, Kadrov, um, and his agent was very quick to point out that oh Mo didn't know that this meeting was happening. He didn't know who was down there. Um, yeah, because there I mean, was you, you can imagine the Chechnyan propaganda that's been circulating since all the pictures of uh, Mo Salah next to the the Chechnyan leader. What a poster yeah. that must be! It, it's pretty remarkable because this actually. You you watch how I'm gonna do this, Dave. This <laughs> ties this ties in to uh, our our discuss, uh, discussions for Germany and the German national team, because how um, so? Do tell. Oh, oh, I will. Because uh, one of the reasons that that uh, Mo Salah's agent was very desperate to distance him from uh, from Kadrov is that this guy is infamous which is why when we spoke about him him before i knew i knew a little bit because um chechnya rose to the headlines last year around this time last year for uh an outburst of um anti-gay anti-lgbt violence that was going on that was reported within within chechnya um and Chechnya is is uh, predominantly Muslim. I don't. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with uh, why the Egyptian team was. There. I know that um, a, lo- a lot of the the different teams are fasting around the time of the World Cup, yes, which is one true. of the reasons the the Iranian team was said not to be doing so well. So that might make sense for for why they would want to to stay in Chechnya. But there's a um a large last year that you had journalists and humanitarian groups reporting just a wave of of anti anti-gay violence going on throughout the country and the kremlin um vladimir putin is is a big supporter of ramzan kadrov he's basically kadrov is putin's guy in in chechnya um and putin was quick to downplay what was going on and uh didn't seem to do anything to prevent the the persecution which is where steps in the german chancellor angela merkel where yes um, uh, in she comes. Angela Merkel comes in and she says, Putin, please maybe look into whether this is true or not and then maybe write him a strongly worded letter. And <laughs> this is a really interesting uh, point of contention with Germany at the moment where uh, with the UK going through the uh, the, the Brexit, <sighs> going through the, the Brexit situation at the moment, of which I am not stressed about. Um, (laughs) Germany, which has always been kind of the the centre point of the EU anyway, is having to step up. And with Donald Trump destroying the reputation of America on the international stage, Germany is pushing itself further forward as a kind of moral arbiter as well as as an economic one. Uh, When you have the, the burst of Syrian refugees, Germany took a lot of them in. And uh, still now Angela Merkel is, is fighting her own interior minister to continue allowing refugees uh, into the country. The, the Germans are trying very hard to be seen as 
the the country of morality. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that is. It don't I don't think it wins Angela Merkel votes on a on a democratic position. I don't know if it's some kind of historic responsibility. Germany is uh, very aware of. Uh, Berlin, especially, is covered in in its history of, yeah, of, of what course. happens of what happens when you you when you uh, you leave people to suffer when you don't do something that could very much play into it. But what I thought was really interesting researching it in, into Germany was that uh, Germany again was one of the countries that removed Russia from the G eight. It's now the G seven. The G eight were the eight most prosperous nations on, on the planet. Yeah. Now it's the G seven because they re- they removed Russia. Um, after they uh, annexed Ukraine. And the Germans were one of the nations that stood up and said, uh, this cannot be allowed to continue. They made a, a big point of, you know, of, of backing Ukraine, which is not an EU nation yet, but is, is on the way to, to becoming one, um, and saying that this, if Putin continues along this path, then, then we're in real trouble. And so the Germans have made a big show of of being, you know, the 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 keepers the gatekeepers of of what is right in Europe, which is why it's really interesting. I keep this is my 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 catchphrase now. Interesting that um, they are also two faced liars. No, whoa, no, that this is. <laughs> this, you enjoyed that. That, that, made, that that may sound. I did enjoy that because. You know how I feel, uh, especially like I I will stick a, a a freedom for Palestine poster on my wall, like I don't like and argue argue for that for days because I I really want to back the German government on this, right? Like standing up for Ukraine in the face of a Russian invasion and and holding the Russians to account that is so important. And the UK has stepped away from its responsibilities in that regard. America has stepped away from its responsibilities in that regard. And the Germans seemed to be the ones who were actually going to do something about it. But instead, we have this pipeline called Nord Stream, the Nord Stream 2, which is a gas pipeline running from Russia to Germany that circumvents ukraine so th- th- this is uh, maybe a little bit boring for a football podcast but essentially no never russia russia is a large producer of natural gas and that is the fuel by which most of europe runs on um at the moment a lot of that fuel goes through ukraine and two percent of the ukrainian economy two percent of ukraine's economy comes from the tax it makes by that gas going through the country. Ukraine doesn't make any of the gas itself, but its land is in the way, so it gets to charge tax for, for the gas coming through, right? Sure. But what Russia decided to do in one of its many efforts to fuck Ukraine was <laughs> to build a pipeline under the Baltic Sea that runs directly from Russia to Germany completely bypassing Ukraine. And it makes economic sense if you are the Russians because you don't want to be paying potentially billions of of pounds to the Ukrainians if you don't have to. But for the Germans, what they have done 
is they have said we support we support Ukraine in this situation and then they have turned around and gone unless it's economically beneficial not to hmm. and that is a, a really strange situation now to, to Angela Merkel's credit she apparently did go to Putin and say hey if we if we build this pipeline you've got to guarantee that you'll continue going through Ukraine as well. Like, Ukraine needs some, some love. Give Ukraine some love. Uh, to which Putin said, you know, only if it benefits us, basically. As, as if you could convince Putin to be a nice guy. <laughs> sure. Um, it's, he's got it in him. <laughs> yeah, but this is, like, this is a victory for Russia. And, uh, you know... This is the one time in my life I'm going to support Boris Johnson because Boris Johnson, <laughs> the, the British foreign minister and all-round wanker, um, came forward to uh, say the UK's position on this is that Germany needs to stop because if Germany goes ahead, it's a big boon for Russia. And uh, the Russians agree. Uh, Pravda, which is the, the, Russian, the famous Russian newspaper, the most powerful uh, newspaper in, in Russia, claimed that the UK um, is going to collapse. The the Russians believe that our anti-Russian stance will be destroyed because we need their gas. We need that fuel. And we are going to, to collapse and, and, uh, and side with the Germans on this. It's just a matter of time. And that really grates me, Dave. That really grates me. And so this is why I'm so annoyed with Angela Merkel on this one. I don't know how it plays into the German team not doing very well against Mexico, but it really gets on my nerves. I can't imagine uh, at the dressing, uh, in the dressing room after Germany lost to Mexico, um, Joachim Löw, the German coach, being like, nah, I know you're all upset about the pipeline, but we, <laughs> we really need to get this out of our heads before our next two games, if at all possible, please. Dankeschön. Well, I'm... You, you, <laughs> that you you say that, but I, I, I don't know. This is it's an attack on European sovereignty, and I, oh, oh, oh. Any anyway, yeah. all right. Are you uh, okay? So are you calm down? The Germans, yeah. The Germans are not just disappointing uh, me politically; they're also disappointing me on the football pitch. Like this is one of the greatest teams. Uh, of the last 10 years, the last 20 years. The last 50, is 60 just, years, yeah. Yeah, is, is it, it just back to the that West they don't have... Well? Is it just that they don't have Philip Lahm? Is that where this is going wrong? <laughs> hey, that's a glaring weakness as far as I'm concerned. I loved a bit of Lahm. He was quality. Yeah, me too. But um, yeah, I think where there is a bit of... Um, some veterans have dropped out of the, the German squad in the last couple of years... In that typical German fashion, they've got some pretty worthwhile and um, and worthy replacements for them. Um, the the man who replaced Lam essentially in the Bayern Munich team, Joshua Kimmich, has stepped into his boots at right fullback for the national team, and like I say, he's a very worthy replacement. I think at least going forward, he's one of the more uh, the modern ilk of, of fullback slash wingbacks who is very dangerous going forward. Is good with the ball. He can cross from anywhere maybe lacks a little bit of concentration um, at the back, um, which was a, gr a glaring weakness uh, that we saw when they played against Mexico, where they were allowing Mexico opportunities more than Mexico were playing brilliantly to create them. 
It was interesting watching... Oh, for fuck's sake. No, I'm sorry. I'm catching myself on the word interesting. It's and it's really <laughs> annoying me. I don't uh, think so. I think people will be wearing uh, T-shirts with your face on that say, that's interesting. <laughs> In no time at all. Yeah, you know, I can, I can only hope so. Um, <laughs> I've, I've said Garner a lot. I said in the first couple of podcasts, tons, so I'm going to try and cut that out. Um, just as Steve's probably going to cut this out of the, uh, the podcast. I mean, he might not even listen this far, so this <laughs> might end up going in. Uh, but, but anyway, um, it was strange to see the Mexican team doing so well, considering kind of how inefficient they were. Again, the, the German team was dominating in, in the passing game, in the possession game. The Mexicans were just losing the ball constantly, and yet it didn't seem to make any difference. The Germans never seemed to actually capitalise on the opportunities that they had, which is really strange because this is Germany of all teams not to capitalise on, you know, being given these chances. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't think anyone would have expected Germany to slip. I mean, in the past, we've seen big teams, um, Slip up at the op- in the opening the opening games and the, and the group stages. Though France, after winning uh, their own tournament um, in '98, went to Japan and Korea in 2002 as as uh, strong favourites to at least reach the final. And then they ended up losing their first game to Senegal, who at that point no one had heard of. Uh, as mm. as a result of of that, we saw a great influx of um, Senegalese talent um, getting into big European teams, um, like Seville Hadji Juve and Papa Bouba Diop who is not only one of my favourite players um, of that generation, but also one of my favourite players whose names I like to say. Uh, <laughs> Papa Booba Diop. It's brilliant. Um, that is a great name. Yeah, but we've seen, and uh, Brazil at the, at the last World Cup, their group stage wasn't entirely convincing um, when they were hosting it. But uh, yeah, I, was, I would never have thought Germany... Germany are the quintessential tournament team. It doesn't seem to matter who is in the squad and who's been in charge, but as long as football has been um, organised and performed at this level in this format, Germany or in West Germany previous to that have known how to get it done. Mm. And with, uh, with Joachim Löw, the current uh, coach, he's overseen the last five um, trips that the German team have taken to major tournaments and he's taken them to the semi-final on every occasion at least. Of course, they went all the way to the final and won um, the last World Cup. So... This is not, and don't, I've said that some veterans have left the squad, such as Philip Lahm, but there's not many. And the, the squad that we, we saw go out onto the pitch against, uh, against Germany, uh, sorry, they are Germany, against Mexico, had everything that you would think they would need uh, to, to, to walk through Mexico. From all the way mm. from the back, with the, I mean, five out of, sorry, four of their back five are the Bayern Munich uh, uh, back five uh, with. Manuel Neuer in goal and then Kimmich as we mentioned before and that centre central defensive partnership of Hummels and Boateng Bayern Munich are one of the strongest teams in Europe and again just the same as the national team have been for as long as there's been European um, club football Bayern Munich have been up there with the best so and looking back at the, their warm up and their preparation for this tournament there was no real um, suggestion that they maybe they weren't ready I mean, I've said they are the quintessential tournament team and their form warm-up games weren't strolls in the park either, to be fair. I mean, they did beat Saudi Arabia uh, 2-1, but then they drew one all with Spain and lost to Brazil and Austria. 
um, you might say that they were perhaps experimenting a little bit with the lineup and and with the uh, and with the the systems. But I would I would suggest by now, Germany know their system. It's the German system. It's the German way to play. That as we've talked about before, they've been playing since they were schoolboys. It's it is the German way of football. They've been doing it all their professional lives. But I suppose on the flip side to that, if everyone knows how to what the German style of football is, what the German system is then there has to be a way to stop it. And as well as I think Mexico shaped up to do just that, they were very organised, they had solid banks of midfield and defence to just close up any gaps to not allow Germany's creative players to try and create anything. Meza Ozil and Tony Cruz in in midfield didn't really carve any holes and and make any great inroads towards the Mexican goal. But having said that, Mexico could play the I think Mexico could play the best game of their lives and still get beaten by Germany if Germany are playing the way Germany should. I think that's maybe mm. the key point from that match. Germany didn't really play as Germany should. And in one area in particular I thought they were lacking was in that center forward position. So Timo Werner has been, had a really good couple of seasons at club level. Um so he's kind of taking on the mantle of the the German center forward from Miroslav Klose, who is the record World Cup goal scorer. Um, if you want to have a look and see how many goals he scored in World Cups throughout his career, that is the number that is greater than any other player. <laughs> greater than greater yeah. than Ronaldo, greater than even um, uh, Bertie Vokes, another great player of the past. Pele, who played in a number of, of World Cups. Maradona, he has scored the most goals in World Cups and he came to the end of his career, I think even at the last World Cup where he broke that record. He was still in his um, early to mid-30s and may have not even been included if not for his pedigree. Um, but while Timo Werner has yeah, scored, I think he scored 21 goals for RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga this season, um, he perhaps is the, the area where, as well as you can be playing for your club, you ain't no Miroslav closer. And the players yeah. that players behind that centre-forward position, who are the creative types, we've mentioned Ozil, Kroos, um, and uh, some of their more attacking wide players, they're used to playing and feeding the likes of Marissa Closer, not Timo Werner. Um, and I think that's something they're going to have to work on. And I'm sure they will. To get the best out of your, your striker, he needs to be a focal point. And they, they just didn't, they couldn't figure out how to do that. Mm. Well, let's take a, a, a quick sidestep over to Group E because we've. We haven't spoken about them at all, really. I don't want to go too much into Brazil because I'm hoping to do uh, just a, a whole episode on, on Brazil and where they are as a team and what happened post the, uh, the, the, the 2014 World Cup to lead them up to where they are now. Sure, yeah. As a football squad uh, and, and politically. But I, again, the same as Germany. You know, this is, this is Brazil. Of yeah. of all the of all the teams, I, I I don't even need to draw a connection between how good Brazil is at football. You know, the, again with the same with Germany. You don't you don't even have to say it. You just know. It's yeah, just I mean, ingrained it's, in the in the culture, in the culture, so, in the game. It's the the song. It's just like watching Brazil. Historically, they are the 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 great footballing nation where which every every young footballer wants to play like Brazil play. Um, yeah, you're right. It's just um, they are the the football nation. So who wants to play like Switzerland? That's the real question. Because <laughs> uh, at the moment, I, I, you know, a, a couple of days ago, I would have thought, well, not many people really want to play like Switzerland. But 
you know, maybe that's not such a terrible idea right now. Well, if you yeah, if you play like Switzerland against Brazil, then you as we as we've seen, you can get get points on the board. Is it just the same case? Do you think as with Germany, where this is a, a squad that hasn't quite figured out what it is that they're doing, or they're they're not really too sure of themselves at the moment? Do you think they're gonna they're gonna come into their own later on in, in the tournament? Or is it just uh, a case of, of of waiting for things to click? Yeah, I think Brazil having not lost their opening game, I think Brazil, it's just a case of them getting up to speed they uh, they at least they at least showed some some creativity and created chances and showed that with a player like Philippe Coutinho who can score goals like that uh that they're they're always going to be a threat and they weren't hopeless um mm. as, as we've seen with other big nations so far in this tournament so so no I think I think it's just a matter of time um with Brazil and in the following two games I think they should be they should be much much more comfortable yeah and for those those last two those last two games they've got we we had the mighty Serbia going up against the uh, the the Titans that are Costa Rica. Um, is that some derision you know, in your voice there? I I, I do not. It's a sour taste, ab- Dominic. Sour ab- taste. Absolutely not. No, I mean you know we we spent uh, we spent forty six minutes talking about you know Germany and, and Brazil and the two nations you've got left are, are Costa Rica and Serbia. And, you know, it just feels like that. Uh, this, is, this is my problem with the World Cup so far. I know this is something that you're really enjoying, but that I'm finding kind of frustrating is that, you know, yes, I, I, I want to support the underdog, but I'd like the underdog to win about 5-4. You know, I, I want to see the, the great nations turn up and play sure. like the, the great nations. I, yeah, I want the underdog to also beat them but I want like nine goals in a game. Whereas Drama, like Costa excitement, Rican... yeah. Surface yeah, football. but Costa Rica, Serbia, you know, it's one nil to Serbia in the 56th minute. Like, can we expect anything better from these two teams or are, are they just fodder for, for Brazil to go through? Um, I think that's a fair, a fair point to say is that Serbia, Switzerland as we've seen, and Costa Rica would have come into this tournament going, how can we stop Brazil from scoring too many goals? Um, so Switzerland set themselves out to play uh, defensively and be organised and be strong and just to outnumber Brazil wherever they could. Um, Serbia will do well to copy that system because I think Serbia and Switzerland are, f- are fairly similar um, in terms of their stature and, and their style. Um, and then you have to expect, without that physical strength and... and uh, European style of, uh, of organised football, Costa Rica are probably going to be the whipping boys and you can't really, I can't see them finishing anywhere besides um, fourth fourth in the group without being without really having the, the talent to score goals willy-nilly like Brazil do um, mm. and without having strength in defence. I mean, their goalkeeper is, of course, uh, Keylon Navas, the Real Madrid goalkeeper, but you can't win a tournament with a good goalie. Um, so, they, I mean, maybe a goal is the sort of person who can maybe save you some points here and there. Maybe he keeps you in a game that you're drawing in or he keeps the goal difference low if, if he's facing a lot of goals. But, yeah, I just, um, I, th- I think you're right. It's just a case of how many goals will Brazil score against the, the remaining two opponents. Mm. Well, that's what I'm, what I'm hoping for because I think, it is, I think you're right with, with, what, with what you're saying here where the, the teams, the, the games that we've seen have actually been pretty fantastic displays of defensive talent um and while that is interesting to watch 
I'd rather watch magnificent displays of attacking talent. Yeah, I mean that's what uh, you'd expect the, from from Brazil. I think uh, with the Costa Rica Serbia game, that wasn't that neither of those teams are setting out really to lean too much on defending. Like Costa Rica aren't so afraid of Serbia that they will not try and score, and Serbia would would have would have thought of themselves as the favourites for that match. So it was just a matter of not um, leaving any gaps in the back to be exploited on the counter, and then just try and score a goal. And in the end, it takes a free kick from their left back to to win that game. Well, at the moment, Dave, uh, we are actually missing Belgium versus Panama right now. We are. I actually so... turned my TV off because it was distracting me as we were trying to, as uh, oh. at the time of recording. So um, I don't I have no idea what's going on. Okay, well, we should wrap. We should wrap this up quickly. But give me a, a quick prediction right now for when we turn the TV back on. What do you reckon the score is going to be? Belgium versus Panama. We're we're twenty two minutes into the match. What do you think the score is going to be? Um, I. As we've seen, Belgium really kind of struggled to gel with all their superstars and Panama have been very organised in a surprise package really in qualifying. I don't think, um, and I don't think there's going to have been any goals yet. I think Belgium will not, know, not really come into their own until the second half. Yeah, I am I, going to go with the trend for the rest of the World Cup, which has been nothing happens in the first half. <laughs> so I am all, except for the, the, the Portugal-Spain game, which I slept through. Um, so I'm sure you'll, have, you'll agree you'll with see, you. I'm sure you'll see good games. Yeah, I don't think you're going to sleep through all the good games. Though. I, ho- I hope so. There's hope for you. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm very happy tonight to uh, to sleep through uh, England Tunisia. If I if I miss that, that is absolutely fine with me. I'll happily watch the highlights in the morning. Um, but do, do so... dare, dare we talk about what we expect from that one? In a quick before we delve into it properly in the next episode, since okay. they're playing today and we won't get to record until after the game. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? I don't think I know a single player who is playing for the England squad. Oh, really? You're that out um, of touch? I don't think I could. I, I know Raheem Sterling is there because I keep seeing on the news that he's he likes guns or something. Um, and that's <laughs> all I know. That's all I know. I don't I know Joe Hart isn't in goal, but I don't know who's taken over for him. Um, I'm guessing Harry Kane is is there probably um, he is present yes <laughs> is he the captain he is the captain that captain is fantastic. ridiculous well maybe we need to delve into a, a leadership question when we get onto the uh, group g discussion concerning England. you know I, I i'd be ready to start right now if i didn't want to go and watch the belgium game <laughs> so let's uh, do that then yeah thank you everyone for for joining us for this episode and uh I hope you don't have to listen to me tear into the England squad in the in the next episode, which will be uh, about Groups G and Group H. So uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Hello, and welcome to Who Watches That? I fucked that one up. <laughs> Take two. You know, I don't. I don't even trust Steve to edit that out. <laughs>